If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multi-Amory Podcast. Okay. What are so, we talking about tonight? So tonight we are talking about solo poly slash single poly, and we wanted to open with a quick question. What are some of the challenges of being single in today's world? Anyone can shout them out. Just shout them out. Couples privilege. Yes. Couples privilege. We'll, we'll be talking yes. about that one. Well <laughs> what else? Holidays. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Those lonely, holidays. lonely holidays. What else? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely really hard to, to, meet people, to meet people, hard totally. to meet partners, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, anything else? Mm-hmm. Everyone else loves being single, that's great, because that, okay. leads into, that leads into our next question, which is, like, what are some of the benefits of being single? Freedom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Freedom, wait, freedom to do what? Yeah, let's be specific. <laughs> Anything. Anything. <laughs> it is a free country. What else do you get when you're single? Yay! Yay. Here, it's, much, here. it's much easier to schedule stuff when you're single. That's for very sure, true. For sure, yeah. Yay. Yay. What else? No hierarchy. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. You're you're number one to yourself when you're single, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Spoil yourself. Yeah. yeah totally. Definitely. Yeah. So, basically, when we were planning this episode and talking about kind of delineating between being single poly versus solo poly, um, we spent about two hours fighting about it. Yeah, it was a lot of back and forth. <laughs> it was intense. Uh-huh. It was intense. Um, and so we kind of, we eventually came down with some functional definitions for single poly and solo poly, at least for the purposes of what we're going to talk about here tonight. Um, and just to reiterate that our definitions, obviously this all has to do with self-identity, right? Because um, we found ourselves saying things like, well, if you do this and that, that means you can't be solo poly. Like, we're the polyamory board of directors, <laughs> and we're reviewing the applications. <laughs> um, but it, it becomes about, like, what you apply to yourself, right? Um, our party line on the podcast is that labels, specifically, um, they should be there to serve you. It shouldn't be the other way around. Mm-hmm. You, know, you shouldn't feel the pressure to have this label that you have to live up to. Um, it should be what's useful for you, you know, what you apply to yourself. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then also, I do want to clarify that uh, I think sometimes when people talk about being being a certain label, there's almost like this competitive, like, can I can that label be mine? Like, can I do that? <laughs> and there's no value to these either. It's not yeah. like, you should be solo poly, like, so try to hit this definition or something. Absolutely. It's just, it's just something that we've found really useful to to think about because when the polyamory movement was really sort of coming together and when the term was coined and when the the poly community, because of the internet, was first able to start actually existing uh, in the early 90s specifically, it was very much coming from this history of swingers and it was very much based around 
you're part of a couple yeah. that is polyamorous. Very it's almost like the track. couple's polyamorous rather than the individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a lot of you know, evolution and fights during that time that people like Franklin Vaux were part of to try to break away from that idea that polyamory is only something a couple does and that anyone else someone in that couple does is by you know, the good grace of their partner. That you know, the, the only way a secondary partner exists is by the goodwill and generosity of the primary partner. And so we found solo poly to be this empowering and um, really useful way of thinking about polyamory because it is so different from that. Because even today there are still some leftover ideas from that because of how couple-centric our culture is and the, the origins of polyamory too. So there are two things that we're going to talk about tonight. One of them is solo poly, and one is single poly. And we were trying to differentiate what those two actually meant. So we came up with this definition after a lot of talking and a lot of fighting and a lot of back and forth. But for single poly, we're saying that it is a person practicing polyamory who does not currently identify as being part of any couple, triad, or other romantic grouping. And a single poly person may or may not be interested in becoming part of a couple. So right now, they're just still considering themselves polyamorous, but they may or may not decide to become a part of a couple, or they may not see that as something that they're looking to do. Yeah, kind of, when I look at someone who identifies as single poly, it's kind of like they, they could be seeking, you know, if they want a, a quote-unquote primary partner, maybe they're seeking that and they haven't found it yet. If they don't want a primary partner, you know, Maybe they're just seeking whatever kind of relationship they want, but they haven't found it yet. Um, you know, or, or maybe they're not seeking anything at all. Maybe yeah. they're like quite happy to be single, but still identify as poly. Right. The important part of this, though, is that a lot of people will say something like, oh, I want to be polyamorous, but I'm not with anybody right now. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. Like, being polyamorous is the state of mind with which you approach your relationships, the standards of honesty and openness to which you hold your relationships, not the amount of partners that you have at the moment. Yeah, and one would hope that if you are single and polyamorous, you are going to obviously be open and honest with everyone that you're dating and saying, hey, this is the thing that I practice, and therefore you're going to tell each person that you date that you are interested in polyamory and that you are being polyamorous at I guess all times. It's kind of differentiate from like the normal cultural thing of just like the casual dating. Exactly. Right. Of, I'm going to juggle up culture. a bunch of... Well, I mean, it doesn't even necessarily have to be about hookup culture, yeah. but just kind of this very... A standard thing that we've actually grown quite comfortable with of like I'm going to date multiple people around. at a time I'm going to date around and we're all going to kind of out of politeness not be honest about how many people we're dating yeah. um. it's just assumed but not talked about <laughs> yeah right yeah. so this is different okay and so then the next definition that we have which is the main topic for tonight is solo poly so for solo poly it is the practice of having polyamorous relationships without the intention of merging life infrastructure or identity, instead focusing on maintaining individual identity and autonomy. So what this means is you could be part of a couple, you could be part of many couples, or triads, or quads, or, or I want to say it, I want to say it, say like it. A, a, a semi-porous polyfidelitous <laughs> commune, which is a... T- <laughs> the term we just heard for the we first just heard time from somebody a couple identified like, as part of a semi-porous polyfidelitous commune it was yeah. amazing yeah <laughs> never heard that before it's great um, but you could be part of that any of those the point is that you're not the purpose of those relationships is not to 
kind of meld your life infrastructure with someone else, which generally means that you don't have the intention of creating a home with someone else. Moving in with them. Yeah. Right, like moving mm-hmm. in with them yeah. or tying your finances to another person. Or uh, getting married. Or getting married, yeah. some sort of legal coupling like yeah. that. So there are many facets that kind of go into this identity of solo poly. It can include those things of like, you know, maybe not feeling a particular drive to cohabit or to have kids with someone or to share finances with someone or buy property with someone, things like that. Um, but it can also come from a place of just really valuing autonomy and independence, um, mm-hmm. you know, and wanting to make your own decisions. And it doesn't necessarily mean like making your own decisions and everyone else who's in my life can just, you know, fuck off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't care what they think or feel. There can definitely still be compassion and empathy and consideration for the people in your life. But this idea that there's no one, like I don't, you know, not wanting to have someone in a position where it's like, well, I got to ask for permission from this person. Yeah. Or I definitely, like my identity is melded with this other person and we act as a unit. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with that, um, but that it is kind of a distinct approach to non-traditional relationships. Um, another big factor is a desire to kind of step away from the relationship escalator. Um, this Who, feels like a familiar, pretty, who's pretty familiar savvy with that crowd. Term. People know about the relationship escalator. escalator. For those of do? you yeah. who don't know, just a quick uh, rundown of that, is the relationship escalator is this notion that all relationships follow the same path if they're considered to be valid or real um, kind of by the culture at large. And the same path is, you know, boy meets girl, boy and girl go on first date, boy and girl share first kiss, then first sex, then they date exclusively, then they move in together, then they get married, then they have kids, then they die. Um, I do like to point out, death. <laughs> for some people, the, the order of some of those is a little different. Sure. Like the getting married and having sex part for, for some parts of our culture is in a different order, at least yeah. it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but right, but it's this idea that in order for a relationship to be valid, it needs to be always moving toward this next Step. It's very goal-oriented. And if you move backward a step, it's like, what's the point? The, clearly, this is, relationship isn't working. It's mm-hmm. going backward rather than just changing shape or changing the way that it's yeah. set up right now. And a lot of people, you know, whether they identify as solo poly or not, are still very hooked into this idea of kind of stepping off the relationship escalator. Yeah. You know, because some people may still choose, you know, I want a partner or maybe two partners, you know, that I raise kids with, that I share a home with, that I intertwine my life with, but I'm also open to having other partners where I'm not worried about, you know, attaining all those goals with, you know, so, so even people who aren't solo poly are still pretty savvy to this notion that relationships can take many different shapes. It doesn't always have to be on this particular path Mm -hmm. of upward mobility. Mm -hmm. Just to give some examples of ways that solo poly doesn't just mean you you live by yourself and just date casually. Uh, one example is Franklin Vo, who many of you know from the book More Than Two and The mm-hmm. Game Changer. Uh, but he lives parts of the year with different partners. Yeah. So he will cohabit and live with his partners, but maybe for like three months at a time. And then he'll go to England and live with the one there for three months, and then come to Portland and live with the one there for three months. Uh, that it's not, you know, you are still living with someone and building this intimate relationship and writing books together with them but it's not it's like having a baby right um, <laughs> there's Titicus, 15 16 babies over there yeah. every woman who's ever had a baby like hates me right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
But Dedeker Winston does that as well. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's kind of how I've been structuring my own life mm-hmm. for the past year and a half, two years, is that, you know, I spent part of the year living with one of my partners in Istanbul, in Turkey. I spent part of the year living with Jace in L.A., and also mm-hmm. sometimes in Japan, and then also spent part of the year living by myself. Um, and doing that, even I fall victim to the label thing of, like, am I solo poly enough? Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of more Han Solo than anything. (laughs) But I think the differentiation, you decided to go on those trips by yourself without having to ask anyone for permission. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of when you stepped off of like the hierarchical polyamory that you used to do and moved into the sort of more solo poly lifestyle. And on the other side of that is that if Dedeker, you know, decided to travel like she did, that didn't mean that I had to be like, oh, God, I have to figure out how to make my job work so that I can travel, too. Yeah. We didn't have to go do that together because mm-hmm. that was something she could do on her own. And that didn't mean our relationship was becoming less intimate mm-hmm. or less close. Uh, it was just either. changing its shape right then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that it's going to be able to keep evolving and you know, moving in different directions like that. Yeah. Uh, so something that we wanted to talk about just kind of again, going along with clarifying lots of different approaches to polyamory, uh, are these categories that Kathy Labriola created. She's um, a therapist, psychologist. Um, who, she wrote a cool uh, handbook about understanding jealousy and dealing with it. But when we talked with her, she said that she's come up with three kind of main classifications for the ways that people practice polyamory based on her clients and people she's talked to. The first is the primary secondary model, which I think most of us are familiar with, right? You have a primary partner and, and then anyone else is secondary or you know, maybe even tertiary or whatever. I like to call it the old school model. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Then there's the multiple primary model, which means you might you know, really develop this uh, strong connection, live with your partners maybe for part of the year, but you might have multiple partners. Or this could be a triad that lives together or a quad or something like that. That Those relationships still feel very primary. They're just, there's not just one of them, right? So that's the multiple primary model. Uh, and then the next one is the multiple non-primary model. And this one is the one that looks the most similar to our kind of, oh, I'm just dating mm-hmm. way of thinking about things today. Uh, And this could be something you do temporarily, or it could be something you do for your whole life, because maybe you have another priority. It could just be that you like living alone, you prefer that. Or it could be that you're really focused on career right now. Uh, She also said this is really common for, like, artists or musicians, where it's like, look, right now I'm I'm touring, I'm going all over the place, I want to date people, but I'm not looking to kind of get too intertwined with anyone right now mm-hmm. for some people it's their kids you know some people are like no my kids are my primary partners yeah. and everyone else is, is you know is non-primary exactly and exactly. multiple secondary and multiple primary models can both be solo poly so for example Dedeker kind of operates with two sort of primary or sort of non-hierarchical yeah, no, primary like, partners. Uh, like, none of us yeah. like using the word primary, primary. because of the indication yeah. or kind of the implication. But, but the, you can't say that one is more secondary, one is more primary. They both take precedent in her mm-hmm. life. They're both important to her. But she still operates under the solo poly. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting with that because... Um, when you talk about solo poly within the polyamorous community, a lot of people assume that it is this multiple non-primary model, mm-hmm. that, it's, that it's assuming like, okay, well, 
I'm okay seeking out relationships, but I kind of want to keep everyone at arm's length, um, you know, because I want to focus on other things, which is which is great, totally valid. Um, but the thing is that there there is still this assumption, even within the poly community, that if a relationship is very romantically intimate or emotionally intense, that it must be the like primary, a primary secondary relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's still that assumption, like like couple privilege still pervades even the poly community. You know, even people who are very very aware of it, that there's still a lot of assumptions that. You know, even like, oh, if you choose to live with a particular partner, that must mean that partner is, is the primary, is de facto the primary. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is still a little bit of a struggle for people who identify as solo poly when moving through the, the polyamorous community at large. Mm-hmm. A question that we'll often get it's one of these funny ones where people outside of the poly community might not ask this, but people in the poly community might, which is sort of, oh, okay, so you're dating these people, but, like, which one's your primary partner? Yeah, yeah no, I've, I've gotten, like, horrible questions. Like, mm-hmm. as in, someone once asked me, like, no, no, really, like, if you had to let one of them die. <laughs> right? Which one do you like more? No, right, and I was like, can I Sophie's ask you that choice. about your parents? Yeah, like, can I ask can you that, I ask about, you that about, your about your kids? Yeah, um, ridiculous. But, I mean, I mean, this poor guy, he didn't know. He was very young and Christian and innocent. Um, yeah. But... <laughs> But yeah, you know, it's it's still that assumption of like when it comes to romantic love, there has to be one person who's more important than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to toss out to you guys: um, what are some examples of couple privilege? Like, what even is it? I know, I know, you guys know what it is because someone tossed yeah, it out, right? Someone <laughs> can know, so. Lauren over there tossed it out. So. <laughs> yes, exactly. we have exactly. seen those actually. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Hotel rooms? Yes. Vacations in two? Yes. Yeah. Right, they're sold in twos. Yes, Yes, exactly. exactly. That's what we talked about, how you get a plus one that's assumed is always going to be for your romantic partner, but kind of like if you're bringing just a friend to a party, you you have to ask ask about it. Is this okay? It's kind of this assumption that you come as a unit. Yeah. Right, even if there's not a plus one for a party, a lot of people just assume, I got invited, that means my significant other can come. They're coming. Yeah. Uh, What else? Financial approval. Family, Family approval. approval. That's a big yeah. one. Yep. That's a big one, actually. I uh, I keep intending to write a blog post for Multiamory titled "I'm Polyamorous, but my mom is not," because because <laughs> right? that, because she. I mean, I've been out to my mother for a couple of years now, and it was a little bit of a struggle at first, but now she's come around to it. You mm-hmm. know, I, I didn't get kicked out of the family or anything like that. Um, but when it comes to like being affectionate and excited about my partners, like she has a really hard time. Uh, doing that for multiple people, um, but like I just she, love Jace, <sighs> or like, like she tends to glom onto one person, yeah. and like that's what she can handle at a time, um, mm-hmm. and like it really takes her some time to adjust to to multiple people. Um, right, so, it's like yeah. which which is the one I care about now? Basically, yeah, 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 basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, I also heard financial. Someone said that. Yes, good yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. All the legal stuff that you get from getting married, getting for example. Married. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Tax privilege. Um, one that comes up a lot is um, kind of preference on social media. Is that you, who gets to be pe- in the pictures? Exactly. Like especially for people who are either kind of in a relationship where there's an established like primary secondary hierarchy, or for people who are not necessarily out. 
you know, maybe their family only knows about one of their partners, but not everybody else, that there's, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's only one person where it's acceptable to be in that selfie on mm-hmm. social media, um, which can get a little bit uh, grating on the person who's non, non-primary. Right, who can... Yes, Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yes. exactly. I'm in an open relationship with someone and then they have to put a name down and that was yeah i mean that was the thing with okay cupid as well yeah. that okay cupid, you saw the link they were yeah. so proud of themselves for a while like we're accepting polyamorous people now but it was still like you can only link your profile to, to one, one person, person. yeah um, mm-hmm. so it still assumes the hierarchy is there yeah, the primary so it's, is there it's so hard to break out of that yeah. culturally we're so used to the dyad mm-hmm. being held up as like the hallmark and the apex of romantic love mm-hmm. yeah can i ask has anyone here read the book The Game Changer by Franklin Vo? Okay, like a few people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's amazing. It's it's a great book. I actually think it should be required polyamory reading. Uh, <laughs> I really like it because it's a memoir of of his life through, you know, being part of the early days of the polyamorous community on like the you know bulletin board systems mm-hmm. uh, in the early days of the internet. And one of the things I found so fascinating is that through his through his journey and you know, and with his partners, they came up with this thing called the Secondary Bill of Rights, which we're going to talk about later. But part of it was this idea that if you're in a primary-secondary relationship, just because you're secondary doesn't mean that you don't have needs. It doesn't mean that whatever you want doesn't matter, but it's all the only thing that matters is what's happening in that primary relationship. And he, so he published this whole thing about the Secondary Bill of Rights. What's fascinating to me is that at the time, he got bags and bags of hate mail yeah. from the poly community because people then. still sent yeah. real letters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he couldn't <laughs> just spam filter those. those. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> right. But he got like actual bags and bags of hate mail from the poly community because that couple privilege was so, so deeply ingrained yeah. in the way that we think about yeah. the way that the world should work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and I found that fascinating. Some some other ways when we were discussing this that came up. Um, Privacy can really be linked in with couples' privilege. There can be this idea that, like, well, if there's this established couple and, like, we just share everything, and so if you're a new partner, it's not guaranteed that your privacy will be respected. Um, we're going to talk about you. We're going to talk about you, or we may be, we'll share your text messages, yeah. um, mm-hmm. either consensually or non consensually. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's something that comes up. Another thing that comes up is the idea of child rearing. That it's assumed that that child rearing is going to be well. It's going to be focused on yeah. a couple. Um, mm-hmm. It's not going to be multiple people. It's going to be yeah. just the two parent model. Um, it's it's like in the bedrock of everything in our in our social interaction mm-hmm. yeah. in these modern times. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, and so another part of this to go along with it uh, is uh, something I think you want to talk about. This right? Dedica? Yes. Yeah. So. Um, there's this term, I love really long, dusty <laughs> academic terms. And um, Jace does not. And Jace does not, so I'm sorry, Jace. Um, uh, but there's this concept of amato-normativity. Some people say amato-normativity, but I like amato-normativity. Um, <laughs> amato-normativity, amato-normativity. Exactly. <laughs> tomato, tomato. <laughs> um, and to break down the etymology of this word, obviously we get normativity, you know, the idea that something is normal, normal. or should be normal. Um, amato comes from the Latin word amatus, which means beloved. And amato normativity is this idea that everyone should be seeking a romantic partnership. That's just normal. 
specifically like a romantic exclusive partnership that it's assumed that's just how human beings are that's just what everybody wants in order to be happy um if someone doesn't want that they got to go see a psychologist Mm -hmm. or a shrink and have Mm -hmm. their head examined if someone doesn't want that they must be happy like unhappy or depressed Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. this idea that um that seeking a single romantic partner is a universal goal um and this is one of the reasons why solo poly can be very hard because not only are we operating in a world where there's lots of couple privilege but there is this concept that you know if you're a solo poly person and you just want to have a bunch of kind of very non-primary relationships or casual relationships or not very entwined relationships there must be something wrong with you or this assumption that well your life doesn't really matter yet yeah. or you're still waiting mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you haven't found the one exactly. yet. Exactly, you haven't found the right person. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, these, and these are similar problems that show up for people who identify as asexual or aromantic. Mm-hmm. Kind of just yes. these assumptions that, well, this is something everybody wants. Like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Um, and a good, a good example of this, actually, is the show The Big Bang Theory. Has anyone watched that show at all? I'm sure, I'm sure people... Yeah, it's one of the most popular sitcoms on TV. <laughs> So uh, I actually I enjoy the show yeah. even though I have a ton of issues with it. Uh, but the the character of Sheldon is essentially asexual, like yeah. pretty clearly identifies as that. But this overarching sort of sub theme in the show is is sort of pathologizing that. Hmm. It's like ah oh, well once he just sort of learns to be like a real enough human, then he'll want sex. And then he'll love someone. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So that's kind of an example of how, how pervasive that well, idea we, is. We see the pathologizing instinct or reaction crops up a lot with non-traditional relationships. I mean, obviously, we saw it for, for decades, pathologizing you know, homosexuality, mm-hmm. for instance. Yeah. Um, you know, pathologizing being to kind of look at it as though it's a disorder or a problem or some kind of illness. We pathologized for decades um, transgender or intersex, mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And so, you know, we pathologize uh, um, non-traditional relationships as well. Um, you know, the idea that this is based on you lacking something or just something being... You know, Wrong with you. Wires being crossed in your yeah. brain. Um, obviously, it happens a lot with asexual people being told, like, well, you just need to get on some hormones um, mm-hmm. and then you'll be fine. Or even aromantic people, you just need to go mm-hmm. to some therapy and then you'll be fine. Um, and so it's interesting, and honestly, the the newest and like most controversial thing is this discussion around sex addiction. Hmm. Actually, is discussion of like, is this a real thing or is this just pathologizing? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, my I myself personally, looking at the research, it's I kind of feel like it's somewhere in between. Um, you know, there's the joke that, like, a per, you know, the person who has a sex addiction is just someone who has more sex than you do. Hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> But there, there, you know, there is that of, like, is it just that we see people having sex or, like, quote-unquote, lots of sex and, quote, and see it as an addiction or not? Sure. There's, like, a lot of back and forth. Like, there's a lot of controversy over mm-hmm. the research about, you know, whether it actually exists or not. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's one of those things where an interesting part of the DSM, actually, that a lot of people overlook when talking about things like this is... For a lot of mental disorders, one of the parts of it is specifically if the person experiencing it feels like it's a problem. Mm. 
And that's the part that gets overlooked when we're so quick to diagnose other people. Yeah. Right? <laughs> of like, ah, well, you have a sex addiction. That's why you're polyamorous. <laughs> sure. Right? Um, or saying, oh, you, you think you're asexual, but really it's probably just a hormone problem or maybe some sort of yeah, 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 other yeah, yeah. brain chemical problem that's going yeah. on. You should medicate. Yeah, clearly if you're asexual, like, you must be so unhappy and mm-hmm. be really unhappy. I mean, and yes, there are people who feel asexual and are not happy about that, but plenty of people in the world who identify as asexual and are quite happy and solid in that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so then the next thing that we wanted to talk about with uh, being solo poly is some of the unique experiences that men might have that's different from women and that women might have that's different from men. Uh, the, the first one that came up when we were talking about this was the idea that for men, there's this idea of if you're going to be single all your life, we have terms like a confirmed bachelor. Mm-hmm. And as a woman, if you're going to be single all of your life, our term is an old maid, mm-hmm. right? See, that, I thought that, that the confirmed bachelor was like a euphemism for a gay man, like in the 50s. Well, <laughs> yes, sure, <laughs> sure, that too. Like, that's how you knew. But, like, George Clooney was a Clo- bachelor. Clooney? Clooney. <laughs> Clooney. You know what I meant. He was a bachelor for years, and it was like a sexy thing. He was, yeah, super, I don't know, idolized by so many people. And exactly, he was this eligible bachelor, and you can mm-hmm. be for so long. But women, I mean, I am told by my gynecologist so often, like, hey, you're 28 now. You need to figure out when you're going to start wanting to have kids, and you need to start preparing for that. And I'm like, bitch? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I got my own shit going on. Exactly. Thank you. I had a, so I had a, God, I had a conversation with my mom on the phone. This was a couple of years ago. We were talking about something completely unrelated. It was like talking, I don't know, talking about she was sending me some package in the mail and making sure that it was going to come to the right address. And we were starting to say our goodbyes. And I was like, okay, cool, mom. Like, I'll call you later. Okay. And she's like, okay, yeah, honey. Yeah, I'll talk to you later. Have babies before you're 30. And, wow. and, hung and, hung up. and then hung up the phone. No, seriously. You're I was like, like uh, what? Uh, 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 um, so obviously, this gets entwined with a lot of things. You know, it's not just solo poly. Like, it's also expectations on women that, of course, they're going to want to find someone to settle down with. Of course, they're going to want to have babies eventually. That that's the end goal that every woman is secretly pining after. And that your life doesn't really mean something if you don't have children that you're all of a sudden not worthy of this life that you've lived mm-hmm. because you don't have someone going after you. You don't have someone to, like, pass on your family name, which is mm-hmm. kind of a male thing, actually. No, I'm like, bitch, I wrote a book, and I'm traveling the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Well, this is... We were also talking about this, the idea of the, the desire to have children and that, you know, m- maybe you really want to have children, but there's that's a l- amazing if you do and if you are right, and that's great. But there's also a lot of cultural pressure for men and women to have children slightly mm-hmm. different. in different ways. That's, yeah, that's yeah. a little different for women. It's that idea of like this is sort of your whole purpose here. This is, yeah, this right? is what you were born to do. Mm-hmm. Right, and God that, put you on this earth. Right, and that you're kind of running out of time, so you better get on that right now. Uh, and for men, it's this idea of carrying on your family name. Like, for example, I have. Three or two brothers, so there's three of us, and we are the last of my family's name. Uh, the last I'm, I'm the last of, of my the Lindgrens. Well, really? Okay, yeah. nice, right? The last of the Mohicans. A lot of here. us. Yeah. Yeah, and I yeah. remember as a kid 
being impressed uh, being impressed with the importance of that mm. right that it's like okay shit and I'm the oldest of the three so like it's kind of my job to be the one who's going to carry on this family name and it wasn't until you know much later where I'm like jeez I'm not sure that's just going to happen like, this, <laughs> yeah. this might be the end for this name mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's going to be one of the brothers you don't think your, bro- your, your bros will do it yeah maybe so? we'll yeah. see yeah. we'll yeah. see yeah. if you guys are listening you know. <laughs> It's up to you. I think, I think another thing that we need to hit also is that um, for men who may identify as solo poly or single poly or whatever, it's very easy to kind of get the opposite thing of, you know, where women kind of, kind of get the fear of God put into them of like, mm-hmm. you better hurry up, you better do this, you're running out of time. That with men, it's like, oh, I see, you're one of those. Like, right. you're one of the players, you're, you're one of the commitment phobes. phobes. Yeah. yeah, like I see, you just want to sow your wild oats. Um, like a sexy farmer. And right, and so... <laughs> sure, more yeah, I get that. Uh, right, but there's that, that kind of assumption that <laughs> if you try to say you're solo poly as a man, you're less likely to be assumed that those could be serious relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas as a woman, I think it's more the assumption that you actually are looking for a serious relationship, you just haven't found it yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I to, Is anyone in this room identify as solo poly? And you want to share it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Nice. Got a few Can, people. Here. Are any of you willing to share kind of like what your experience has been as far as like challenges? For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's multi, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code multi to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So I um, entered Polly with a partner... Um, and a lot of people think that we are primary because we live together, mm. um, but we don't nest. Like we don't share finances. We don't plan like our, you know, future together in that way. Like I plan on going to college, and that might be across the country. That mm-hmm. might be here. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, like he might come with me. He might not. But that's his decision. And if we separate, that would be, we would still be a couple. Yeah. So right. that's why I identify. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. We had another one over here. Yeah. Hi. Um, I found my way into polyamory later in my life. I'm 36 now, and um, I had babies really young. 
And so um, I grew up in a very conservative part of the country and like started my family very young. Um, my first partner was in the military. I mean, we were, we were straight up from West Texas. And here you are tonight. Yeah. <laughs> in Portland tonight on Welcome. the same thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, so I guess the challenge for me has been um, identifying as solo poly with three kids, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, um, you were saying, you know, it, it's there's a lot of pressure put on women to just, like, have the children. Well, well I, I do have the children, and I'm not, and I'm polyamorous. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it's like... Um, Luckily, I have their papas are, are super in their lives too. So I mean, it affords me a, a good amount of free time and a good amount of mama time, you know. Mm-hmm. So I can I can balance it in ways that like just a single mom without help, you know, could. But it's definitely been a challenge for me to like. It's just not socially appropriate for a mother of three children to be living this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, I mean, we hold motherhood to this very, very high standard. Like we put motherhood on this ivory tower and really decide how well, it needs I, to. I mean, work. I just want to be like, dogs have puppies too, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's literally this thing to where, like, you know, in some areas of the country, you could get in trouble as a mother for, yeah. you know, living like. Yeah. Living frivolously or whatever. <laughs> Is that on the law books? Living frivolously. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. And this came up actually in our uh, show that we did in Oakland as well. That people were talking about that kind of um, that kids are still the one real danger, even bigger than like losing a job over being out. The, as the kids poly. themselves are not the danger. The, sorry. The, <laughs> <laughs> that, that losing custody of your kids yeah, is yeah, kind of this the the really real danger. Yeah, I mean, also fair, losing your course. job could be a pretty catastrophic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, we live here in Portland. Oh wait, shit. <laughs> we don't. But we live in LA. It's okay. <laughs> we don't. But yes, I mean, we are very fortunate yeah. living in these states on the West Coast here. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That that's not as much of a problem. That doesn't mean it's not at all, though. If you yeah. have you know, some vindictive ex or father-in-law or, or mother-in-law yeah, or, parent, or someone or no, sorry, like that, parent, or even or your own member. parent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it is something we do need to be aware of. And I commend you for... Yeah, we for, applaud your conviction. Yeah, and that's awesome. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Was there anyone else over here? So I have, yes. Yes. <laughs> And that sentiment is very common, you know, especially, you know, we're talking about kind of the 90s, like the early days when the poly, the modern day poly community was starting to form that still had a lot of holdovers from the swinging community that was still very pro hierarchy. Um, you know, you mentioned that it's kind of assumed like, well, the secondary exists by the only by the good graces of the primary partner. Yeah. They should just be lucky 
that, you know, like happy that they're getting whatever it is that they do get at all, right. even that they're allowed to exist at all. Mm-hmm. And kind of the sentiment was, well, if the secondary is having an issue with this, they need to go find their own primary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, yeah. I will say that if someone is in a situation where they personally do feel, hey, I would love a primary partner and that will make me happy, like, great, go yeah. find it. Yeah. But that's not everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the problem is the assumption is that everybody wants that when maybe that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, um, yeah dealing with breakups uh, in a poly relationship is itself a whole, a whole... A whole thing. whole thing. It's a <laughs> yeah. whole bucket of tuna. It's... Um, <laughs> Because there is that a lot of, of like, kind of um, invalidating the feelings mm-hmm. of grief that you may feel yeah. or the feelings of adjustment or frustration or sadness that you may feel because it's kind of like, well, you kind of asked for it, I guess, is part of the sentiment. Yeah, or the, like, well, why are you sad? You've got three more. Like, what's yeah. the big deal? Yeah. Ridiculous. So one of your kids died. What's the big you deal? You've got three more. Like, like, that's absurd. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's absurd. absurd to think you wouldn't be sad about that. <laughs> So obviously it's really important within any polyamorous relationship, within any way that you identify, it's important to negotiate your own boundaries, your own agreements, and advocate for yourself. And we wanted to talk a little bit about like how to do that, how to decide like what it is that you really want in your life and how you're going to express that to all of your partners. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion around creating agreements yeah. um, in your relationships. We've talked great. about it. A lot of yeah, people are talking you, about you it right now. You definitely should create agreements in your relationships. But if you're either single or solo, mm-hmm. it's like, well, who do I have to create agreements with? No. Um, and yeah, there was kind of, again, this old school model was like, well, the primary couple creates the agreements and then everyone else kind of has to fit into those agreements without much say. Um, but it is so important for you to kind of do that self-work and that self-awareness and that self-examination to find out, well, what are my needs as a human being? What is it that I expect in a relationship, regardless of if that person's partnered or not partnered or, or if they're like part of a couple or whatever, like what is it that I actually need? What are my boundaries? Like what is the behavior that I won't tolerate? What kind of communication will I not tolerate? Um, you know, that, that I think that's such important self-work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's also interesting because I feel like a lot of the traditional dating advice out there um, that's aimed at like single people trying to find a partner, mm-hmm. again, assuming that they want to find a partner, um, is about like, yeah, do that self-work, but make it about, you know, like create the laundry list of what you're looking for in a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, create the laundry list of what you're looking for in a, in a husband or whatever. Um, as opposed to finding out, like, what is just, like, my foundation as a human being? Like, what's my baseline? I know you call it buoys. Like, what are my, like, what are the things that I gravitate towards that create my moral compass? I hate using the word moral, but... Uh-huh. Like my ethical compass, like yeah. what what is it that I know will make me into a good human being yeah. just to be around, whether it's romantically or sexually or platonically or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's a lot of focus put on what kind of person you want to find or what kind of person you want to be. But what we're talking about here is actually more what what do I want this relationship to actually look like? Or what do I want my relationships in general to look like? And what do I want them to behave like? How do I want things like communication about other partners to go? How do I want things like communication about, say, for sex to go? Mm-hmm. How do I want to be treated in terms of scheduling or changing plans? Those sorts of mm-hmm. things. That it's 
you might find someone who fits all the things you want and you might be all the things that you want to be and that doesn't mean that your relationship's just going to do itself after that, mm -hmm. right? It's something that you're actively creating. Mm -hmm. And so having these things like these, these boundaries and these agreements for yourself let you understand, like, or as I like to think of them as buoys, when you're out in this ocean of relationships and emotions and things happening and trying to like, oh, I want you to feel good, but I also want this person to feel okay and all that, that you have these buoys around you that you can see, okay, well, I, I can still see that one, so I'm okay, right? Like, <laughs> that's something I've, I've kind of really figured out where I stand on this. And when I'm in a new situation, it's like, okay, how close is it to that? Versus how close is it to that buoy that I marked with a big, like, skull and crossbones? It's like, covered like, in bird shit and seaweed. And <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I don't want to go over to that one. Like, how close am I between those two different things uh, can be really helpful. Yeah. And this is especially important for people um, who do enjoy dating couples. Mm -hmm. You know, people who, yes. who enjoy being a third. Some people hate it, but some people do love it. You know, some people do seek, seek that out. Um, that, that's, like, that's possibly the most important thing situation to have, you know, Kenzie's like, like so vigorously nodding her head right now, um, that that's possibly the most important situation to have uh, clarity around your boundaries and around your needs, yeah, um, when and around, yeah, what it couple. is that you want, yeah. um, because uh, we, we recorded an episode a while ago about, um, you know, how to be a third, we called it how to be secondary while putting yourself first, mm -hmm. um, because that is what's so important. Because honest, honestly, I hate saying this, but you can't expect the primary couple to be putting your needs first. You can't. Um, I feel like I meet a lot of couples who, who say, like, no, 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 like, if we got a third, like, we treat her right, because it's always a her. Um, we treat, you know, we, we treat her right. Like, we wouldn't be mean to her. We wouldn't abuse her. Like, we would treat her really well. And I'm like, that's great. Like, you can treat a pet really well. Yeah. But still not let your pet make any decisions or have any agency. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like someone can still be a princess, but be kept in the tower and not have any decision-making power yeah. um, or any independence. Yeah. So. That's a beautiful metaphor. I know, right? <laughs> Thank you. This beautiful third in their ivory which tower. Which one, the pet or the princess? The or princess the, one, no. Or the booby covered in shit, which one? They're all, they're all beautiful. Okay, I see, great. like, Rapunzel up there, and we're dating her, but she's, she's up there. She's away. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Oh, that's me. Move okay. on to the next one? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so we recommend... Uh, you know, either sometimes people like to write these things down, you know, sometimes people like to do, you know, create their own user manual. Um, Cunning Minx, who mm -hmm. runs the Poly Weekly podcast, one of the longest running polyamory podcasts ever around. Um, I think she, actually the longest ever. That's the not like one of the this 10 is years or something yeah, going strong. Yeah, yeah. something crazy. Um, she, I think on her website, she has kind of like a step-by-step -step process for creating your own user's manual, which is great. Um, I, <laughs> a couple of years ago, um, I, I, like my life was falling apart relationship-wise. I think all, all three of our lives were yeah, falling we were apart. The shit that. was hitting the fan she in a major fucking fan, way. It was really bad. Yeah. And I, um, like it was so bad and I started realizing like I've been so worried about keeping other people happy. Like I've like I've lost my buoys. Like I have mm -hmm. no idea what it is that actually makes me happy, what it is that I need, what it is that I expect out of my relationships or my partners. 
And so I like took off for a couple days. Like I just found a couch surfer place just a couple miles away by the beach, and and was just told everybody like I'm not answering my phone for a couple mm-hmm. days. Um, you know, I need to be in isolation for a little while. Um, ironically, that was the guy who asked me which partner I'd like to kill off. Was oh, my couch God. super host on that trip. Um, I just remember that. Oh my God, yeah. that was the one. God. Anyway, and. Um, <laughs> And uh, in that space of silence and solitude, I, I ended up writing a, a constitution. I wrote the constitution of Dedeker Winston. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And it was about 10 pages long. Wow. And um, I, was, I, I ripped off some, some phrasing from the U.S. Constitution, um, which mm-hmm. I loved. Like, I thought it was so nerdy and great. Other people were like, this is weird. Um, <laughs> but, but I, like line by line, item by item, wrote out, like, these are the things that I expect in my relationships from my partners. These are the things that I will give to my partners, kind of, in order to be worthy of receiving that. You know, this is the kind of autonomy that I'm expecting to have. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, things Mm -hmm. like, I expect to be able to have some privacy with all of my partners. I expect to be able to share moments of intimacy, like, meeting family members, mm-hmm. like possibly cohabiting. Or like going, going on, on a trips. trip. Like going yeah. on trips, like traveling with them. You know, things uh, like being able to share photos of them on social media. Like I expect that of all of my relationships. Um, and just laid it out and, and made sure to create provisions for um, amendments and, <laughs> and revisions and things like that. And um, the thing is, that, like, it's, it's not a document that, you know, I showed it to some of my partners at the time. It's not a document now that, like, I send out to someone I'm about to go on a first date with, you know. <laughs> by the way, look at this. Yeah, by the way. Then you can name it. N- now I have a book to give them. <laughs> That's true, <right>, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was more, like, it was just, like, for me, just to know, like, okay, this is where I stand. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, with the notion that there's going to be flexibility, there's going to be change, but, like, this is where I stand. This is my home ground. And that was so freeing just in itself, just getting it out there. Um, so if you have the willingness or the time to do something like that, I would really, really highly recommend it. Even, even if you're not solo poly, I think that's a wonderful exercise to do. Yeah, yeah just to get clear on what relationships mean to you, mm-hmm. what, what values you hold in your relationships in terms of how you would treat your partners and how you would expect them to treat you or to treat your other partners, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's uh, in couples we're often taught within the poly world this has been hot lately is making agreements mm-hmm. uh, writing them down kind of having a meeting where you both discuss the things that you need what your values are and then writing out your agreements and then meeting again every you know maybe every few months or every month and kind of revisiting those and revising those this is that same thing just with yourself yeah with just checking in again to be like hey you know maybe my beliefs on some of these things have changed a little let me revise this. But by having them written down, I actually do recommend writing it down and not just kind of thinking about it, is it gives you a way to check back in. Yeah, to look uh, back at it if you need it. Right, and if you're in those situations where it's like something feels weird, you can go back and look at it and be like, huh, like does, is my life right now fitting with all of these? Mm-hmm. If it's not, okay, maybe I should make some changes and start being clearer on some boundaries. Or... Yeah, it fits all these things and it doesn't feel so good. Maybe yeah. I should revise this document a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And I think that for solo poly people, specifically, you know, if you know, like, I'm really not looking to cohabit, I'm really not looking to share finances, I'm really not looking to have kids, 
it's important to kind of get that down um, and also be so upfront with that. Yeah, make that very clear to your partner. Yeah. So I know oh, Jay's had that well, though, recently. I will say, I will yeah. say even, again, even if, I mean, and, you know, good old regular polyfolk get this as well. Sometimes it doesn't matter how upfront you are. Um, people will still not listen. And or want to change you. Or want to change you or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. yeah no, I've had, I've had relationships end... You know, a few months in, once they realize that I don't want to eventually get a house and have kids with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You had a relationship end because of that. And I was yeah. just like, it's cool if you want those things. It's just not going to be with me. But if we're poly, that doesn't mean we can't date. And she's just like, nope, I can't. Like, that's not, yeah. it's not going to work for me. Yeah. Uh, and well, as you're I've, a millennial. How can you afford a house anyway? Like, come on. <laughs> come on. Like, that's why are you thinking right about this? <laughs> uh, and I found that as I've as I've, through those experiences, learned to be even more and more clear about that earlier on, if that's something that's important to me, that even if someone does kind of hope that that would change, pretty early on we get to that conversation where they understand it's not. So they don't feel like they were misled. Even mm-hmm. if I didn't actively mislead them, but if there's still that cultural assumption that you're always going to want these things. So if you're wanting something different from that, it helps to be really clear about that. It's all. I mean, it also helps to be clear if you know that that is what you want. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's actually even better. You know, mm-hmm. I had a relationship end um, with a guy because he was very clear. Like, I know that I want to have kids. Yeah. He was also relatively new to poly, and he was like, "And I'm digging the poly thing, but I just I don't know if that's what I want for having kids." Yeah. Um, and actually, it was. I mean, like it was sad for the relationship to end, but I didn't feel like hurt or violated by ending because he was so upfront about it. I mean, from our first date, he was very upfront about mm-hmm. he knows he definitely wants to have kids, and that when the breakup talk happened, that he was just like very factual about it. Yeah, and it was awesome that he knew what about he wanted. It. Yeah, you yeah. know, and so so that I could come away feeling sad but not hurt. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and and it, it's um, I feel like in my life since I started being poly, I've had more breakups that are like that. Mm-hmm. Of mm-hmm. like okay, like, we can be honest with each other about, like, maybe we want different things and it's just not going to work, but it doesn't have to resort to, like, breaking plates. Um, <laughs> you can get into the specifics each other of it. On Facebook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and all of those things that I think now kind of are just assumed to come with a breakup. So in creating these sorts of boundaries or this uh, constitution or a user's manual for yourself... Uh, a resource that I would really highly recommend checking out if mm-hmm. you've not come across this already, or even if you have, go back and check it out again. And this is whether you're solo poly, or if you're in a couple looking for a third, yeah. or if you really like hierarchy and want to do it that way. No matter what, this is worth checking out. And it's Franklin Vo's The Secondary Bill of Rights, mm-hmm. or as it's now been called, mm-hmm. The Relationship Bill of Rights, yeah. to make it a little more universal and not just about secondaries and primaries, definitely recommend checking it out because it's a really eye-opening way of looking at some of the things you might not even realize could come up that can really uh, not, not respect a person's individuality and humanity in a relationship completely unintentionally. You could have the best of intentions and want to be the most caring, like 
Dedeker was saying with you know, no, clients with being like, puppy. we would be different yeah. than that. Yeah. <laughs> the princess it's, puppy. It's really eye-opening. Uh, and so we wanted to give you just like a few examples yeah, of I, stuff from that. So you know, I want my privacy mm-hmm. to be respected. All of us have had our privacy violated for sure. Like that's as in a partner going and snooping, for example, or going onto your Google chats or hangouts and looking everything up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, another part of that is if I'm dating you mm-hmm. and I tell you about some like really serious thing that happened in my family or something from my childhood, yeah. that doesn't mean that you can go and tell any of your other partners or your primary partner that story about me. Mm-hmm. That right? That it's that we're allowed to have privacy regardless of whether or not you have other partners. Yeah. That's an easy one to forget sometimes. Yeah. And also how much time you need for yourself. That's a big one because a lot of us like tend to just fill our lives up with all of these different people and our jobs and everything, and then you have no room for anything, no room for yourself. Yeah, when when Oren said like the empty Google Calendar, like yeah. I was like, whoa, that's yeah, like, I was like, what like, is that? Like I could masturbate to that fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> wow, damn, <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, let's hear more about that. <laughs> So yeah, so things like that being very clear and like how much time you want to reserve for yourself or for Mm -hmm. other commitments. Um, Things like being very clear on how much you want to allow other partners to dictate or limit what you do in other relationships. Yeah, that's a big one. For some people, it's none at all. For some people, it's I am willing to compromise a little bit. And for Mm -hmm. some people, it's, you know, like, no, this is, you know, this partner or these partners get the final say in things and that's fine, but being clear on kind of where you fall on that spectrum. Yeah. Um, and also with the understanding with that, so a- as an example, having good boundaries for yourself and having good agreements doesn't mean that every single relationship is going to work out. Some just might not. An example is, say you have a primary couple who they do have agreements and part of their own bill of rights or whatever is that, yes, certain things are reserved for my partner, such as like we have an agreement that we... Uh, both can look at each other's phones whenever we want and read all of our texts. Mm. Now say one of them starts dating another person who part of their own Bill of Rights for themselves is that I want my privacy to be respected. That just Mm -hmm. because I tell something to you doesn't mean you can share it with someone else. Those are incompatible. And either one of those would have to change or that relationship just can't work. That just can't happen because it wouldn't be within each of their boundaries and that that is not a failure yeah because a relationship ends because of a boundary that doesn't mean that it failed it just anything, means it's like a success for the person who maintained their boundary yeah but right. so many of us look at you know relationships ending as a failure like well that relationship ended and i suck and we suck and right like this tool doesn't work yeah because the relationship ended because of it, it couldn't exactly make it work, mm-hmm. right yeah. uh what was uh bum Oh, right. We also wanted to clarify that, it, say, for example, you have a boundary around other people setting limits on what you can do in your other relationships. Mm-hmm. Be clear, too, that that doesn't mean you're not ever going to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Something that I hear often in response to, like if we say we don't think that veto rules are a healthy part of a relationship, someone says, well, but what if my partner <laughs> is in an abusive relationship with somebody else mm-hmm. and, like, Right, and I see that, and, and they don't, and like, I need to get them out of that. I need to yeah. save them. Mm-hmm. 
I'm like, well, in what world are you living where this partner just ignores everything that you have to say about this person? Like, there's a difference between not allowing another partner to veto your relationship and completely ignoring anything they say and not trusting them. I feel like then maybe you have a bigger problem in your relationship. Yeah, yeah. Right? So just to kind of be clear that in setting these boundaries, it doesn't mean you won't listen to them. It doesn't mean you won't take them into consideration when scheduling or sharing things with people. It just means that they're not the one who gets to set a rule for you. Yeah. And we wanted to let you know that polyamory really doesn't have to look one way. I mean, obviously, it, it, the longer that I do this and the longer that I'm on this podcast, I see, like, we can say, okay, we're not going to do non-hierarchical polyamory. We're not going to do um, solo poly. We are going to do a triad or we're going to do a polyfidelitous non-borous. Rel- what semi-boris. was that? Semi-borous. Sorry, semi-borous. The thing is, like, polyamory, polyamory really doesn't have to look one way. Um, there's a lot of different types of relationships that allow you to retain your autonomy, and they can still take care of your partner's needs and of your own needs. Yeah. And, I mean, we're so used to being in a culture that encourages this, like, goal-oriented relationship. Yeah. Like, very doing-oriented. Like, what are we doing? Where are we heading? You know, there's the, always the classic trope of when you're having the relationship talk, and it's like, well, what are we doing? Like, what <laughs> are we going doing, Antonio? Um <laughs> Versus, like, being, you know, this idea of a being-oriented relationship. Well, it's like, well, what are we feeling? Like, how do we be? Are we happy right now? Yeah, Not what's the next step we're about to take. Yeah. Yeah. You want to hit him with with the quote? I do. Uh, So I just wanted to say that even though society does keep us, or, you know, tries to keep us focused on these goals and always looking toward, like, well, what's going to happen next rather than actually living in the moment and being like, am I enjoying what I'm doing right now? Mm -hmm. Am I enjoying this relationship right now? Uh, That by letting go of that and stepping off that escalator, we get to make our own definition of happiness and we get to make our own definition of what fulfillment means for us. Uh, And in the... Immortal words of Frank Underwood from House of Cards. <laughs> if we're going to go beyond marriage, let's go beyond it. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Frankie. So we're about to kind of bring things back home, as it were. Before we close things out, are there any other questions, comments, or complaints? Or We'll also hang out afterward if you want to talk. If you want to talk in private, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I see one over here. I, I just wanted to say that uh, the podcast has really helped me with navigating certain things about myself, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, but also, um, so I was solo poly for about five years, yeah. and the uniform dating couples all the time, and um, I had a particular couple that I was very close with and did a lot of stuff with, but it was kind of like a, a non-agreement that it wasn't going to be very intertwined. Um, but we've maintained being friends, and then I started a relationship, and I was able to reach out to the, the female and the couple and talk to her about being on the other end of it. Mm-hmm. And she was able to give me a lot of insight that was very aligned with uh, what you guys were just talking about um, in terms of making sure the third person has their needs met. Mm-hmm. And so it's really helped me with being able to make sure that our third feels that way. That's awesome. And that it's not like we are doing the, I, I try not to 
do the veto and make sure that's like very clear at the beginning of it. And uh, so it's really helped me with making sure that I stay in line with that. So I appreciate it. That's so, so awesome. saying we rock. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, cool. You're doing All right. it. All right, okay, cool. I was one of the people that got your book super early. Oh, yeah, well, and that's you. that's really great being able to see both sides of yeah, that too. Seri- yeah, seriously, wow. a lot of people don't, at least not in like such close amount of time. Yeah, they don't yeah. choose to do that, yeah, so yeah, that's, that's really excellent. awesome. Right, like you're either in the couple or you're the or unicorn. You're the third. But yeah. being able to both. have both those experiences does really really eye opening. It's, it's definitely it's a diff- completely different from being Yeah, that's great. I think I know that. Um, that's been an issue for me in the past with, um, so, you know, I had a big process pulling away from, um, from the hierarchy model. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That was, a, of course, a very painful process. It was a very painful lesson, kind of pulling away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of the people in my life, both partners and friends, who are also poly, who are very pro-hierarchy, are people who have only ever been primary partners. Yeah, like people who have never been a secondary partner or a third or something like that, um, who just, you know, don't ever have this, this um, sense of what it actually is like to be kind of under the thumb of someone that you're not even dating. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and I think that actually experiencing that can be so eye-opening and valuable. Yeah, I I had a, a super eye-opening experience a few months ago dating a couple. And, like, the first mm. night that we all kind of hung out together, something happened where they got a little bit, like, snippy with each other. They got, like, w- you know, one of them seemed a little, like, hurt or something. And I, like, felt myself just completely shut down mm. of just being like, oh, God, I've caused a problem in this mm. relationship. It's all going to get taken out on me. This wow. is going to be horrible. Because of some experiences that I'd had before, mm-hmm. not dating a couple, but just dating people who had other primary partners. Mm-hmm. And luckily, at the time, I was able to say, like, like I, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, like, I'm kind of freaking out right now because this is my experience of this and was just really straightforward. Uh, and... They were like, okay, so you know, what do you want? It's like I kind of just want to cry right now, <laughs> uh, but I don't really want to do that. And like, both of them were like, it's okay. And like, both of them just hugged me. Oh, and just, just like, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it was this incredible experience of being able to be open about that, yeah. and and I hadn't ever experienced that, whether I was the secondary partner or. Uh, you know, or whether I was in a primary relationship and someone else was secondary, of be- having that sort of clarity, which was really helpful because we had experienced some of the really dark side of that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've had these talks on the podcast so much about it. Yeah. 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 Uh, you can find the Multiamory podcast online at multiamory.com. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, any place where fine podcasts are sold. We, <laughs> for t- tomorrow night, for Valentine's Day, we're doing a special very poly Valentine's Day show in Seattle. Um, some of these crazy kids are coming to both shows, tonight's show and the Seattle show. Like these weirdos, I don't, I just don't even understand it. But we're very excited about it. Um, so if any of you haven't gotten enough, you can come do that. Uh-huh. We'll be on a different topic. It's not going to be the same yeah. thing. Yeah, something different. Totally different. Um, we do want to extend thanks to our roadie Paul, who has been taking. He's care been of absolutely everything. phenomenal. Um, he vogues back there all the time, folks. Yeah. 
I would also like to thank my brother Josh for booking this venue for us and helping us out with a lot of the logistics for the tour. He's not here, but yay, Josh. No, yay, yay Josh. Josh. And also to the Fremont Theater, um, if you haven't already, get food, drinks, tip your bartenders. Mm-hmm. And thank you guys so much. Yeah, this, um, such this a cool has been venue. an amazing, yeah, really gorgeous it. venue. All right. Yeah, All right. above and thank beyond. You thank, thank you, Portland. Thank you, Portland. And we'll uh, <laughs> thank you.